delivers truth to us. He actually says, no, you're worth my time. I'm going to speak to you. Uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 tells us this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. Spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us, guess by whom? His son. Again, you're worth my time. That's what Jesus is saying. You're worth my time. His son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is, as Hebrews goes on to say, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. So friends, God chose to reveal Jesus way ahead of time, as we know, all throughout the Old Testament. We talked a lot about that last week, right? All the different references to the word of God and actually how even the Talmud and other uh, uh, things actually recognize, no, this actually is the Messiah, the word of God, even in the Old Covenant. Well, he did that. God revealed Jesus even in the Old Testament prophets. And a little trivia for you, this is an R.C. Sprolism. I think you might appreciate this, man. But who was the last of the Old Prophets, the Old Testament prophets? Who was that? Wasn't Moses, of course. Moses, of course. No. It was, wasn't Elijah. Wasn't it one of those obscure little short books? Yeah, uh, like Malachi or Micah. Good guess, good <laughs> guess. That'd be, that'd be a good guess. But you know who it was? The last of the Old Covenant prophets? John the Baptist. You got it. John the Baptist. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a little R.C. Sproul trivia fact for you. <laughs> he always liked doing John that before John the Baptist was the last John the Old Testament Yeah, because yeah, he was under the Old Covenant. So he trans... Yeah. That's because... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and the lights go on, right? <laughs> exactly. So... <laughs> yeah, there you go. I know, right? Yeah. We've converted you. Ah, you Presbyterians. I'm going. I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. Yeah, Old Covenant, New Covenant. I saw the light. Yeah, you saw the light. Here we go. But this is why, this is why, you know, of course, again, so God used John the baptizer, right? But this is why God chose John to go before Jesus. Again, he was the last of the old covenant prophets because he was there to actually prepare the way for Jesus. I was reading it this morning as well, like you, Esther. He prepared the way for Jesus, for his ministry specifically, so that it would have its full intended effect. Didn't they ask him, are you the last prophet? Uh, about Elijah. I was thinking, yeah, who right, is the yeah. last prophet? Mm-hmm. But he, yeah. I think he didn't admit he was. Yeah, the uh, the coming one, the Messiah. Yeah. yeah, it, but, it, yeah. but John yeah. was prophet. He was, yep. yep. But in the spirit of Elijah. Know it. Yeah, in the spirit of Elijah. Oh, he said he wasn't because the yeah. word was come. Exactly. Amen. You got it. Love it. Now, John. Why? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a really good question. Thank you. So let's, let's get back into this. So John, as we read up in the Gospels, he came, of course, baptizing with what? What kind of element? Water. Exactly. He came baptizing with water. That's important, by the way, with water, calling on men and women to repent of their sins and to stand before God with purified consciences. Think Hebrews, right? Our consciences sprinkled clean in preparation for the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Jesus who would, as we know of in John 3, fulfill all righteousness by his act of obedience, even being baptized through John the Baptist's, you know, baptism of repentance. He didn't need to repent of anything, but he was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. He did it for us. He fulfilled the law of God as the true, the better Israel being baptized by God, or truly anointed by God himself in that way. John 1, the Gospel of John, verses 6 through 8, states this kind of thing clearly. It says this, 
there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, just notice a witness, not like the, the greatest, whatever, just a, simple, a witness. Why? To bear witness about the light. For what reason? That all might believe through him. He was an instrument, in other words. It wasn't about him. He was an instrument, an instrument of mercy. Now, though these verses may seem a little out of place to us at first glance, I know even reading it again this morning, I'm thinking, why is this even in here? Like, why is he going to, like, light, word, oh, by the way, John the Baptizer, oh, by the way, light, word, you know, he goes back into it. Like, why is that there, right? <laughs> it's just like, why, why? Well, they're here, I believe, really to prove to us yet again that God is a speaking God. That God spoke through the prophets, remember Hebrews 1, but also he ultimately speaks through his son. The true light, in other words, is worthy to be trusted. Even the prophets whom God spoke through testified to the speaking one, Jesus himself, which is beautiful. That's why John the Baptizer is mentioned here. But aside from Jesus, who himself is the truth, we must pay very close attention to then this doctrine and the lifestyles of the people, uh, these prophets, right? who are bearing witness to the truth. See, so many Christians, just to apply it for us briefly, so many Christians today are so quick to just sign away their trust to the latest or the greatest celebrity pastors, the latest and greatest public speakers, you know, TikTok pastors is the new thing nowadays, apparently. I'm not on TikTok, but apparently it's just causing a lot of deconstructionism from within the visible church. Chinese <laughs> it probably is, yeah. But because of that, a lot of people are being drawn away because of the just feeling of being impressed by these people. These people know how to draw a crowd, even if it's just on TikTok or whatever it might be. However, the scriptures tell us later on in 2 Corinthians 4 that true ministers of the gospel, true preachers of the gospel, are not upon a pedestal. They are simply stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards, servants stewards, helpers, facilitators who carry the treasure of the gospel in broken jars of clay. That is what a pastor should be. And this treasure that true preachers hold has a name. The treasure in a jar of clay is Jesus. It is the very pearl of great price, Jesus by name, the Alpha, the Omega, the creator of all things, the Lamb who was slain, the Holy Messiah, the merciful Redeemer of his blood-bought people, and the one who was rich beyond all splendor and yet who all for love's sake became poor. He is worthy of our trust. And more importantly, he is worthy of our faith, then. Our belief, our resting in him. But for us today, there are so many voices out there who are just competing with the voice of Jesus. These men and women alike are wolves in shepherd's clothing, either peddling false gospels or exploiting the real gospel for selfish or financial gain even. And the only way to see these false shepherds for who they really are is to observe both their life and their doctrine, not just what they're teaching, but how they actually live is in accordance with Scripture. For instance, if I or any other preacher would ever stand before you here at City Light or in any other context and proclaim to you the scriptures in all of their power, and yet I was living as though this precious word that I'm preaching even here and now was as of no value to any of us, I would be the most shamed person and shameful person here in this room. 
and you would have every right to essentially kick me out of my own house and say, no, we're going to swap you out for a true preacher of the word. You'd be right to seek out better witnesses to the truth. Rather, the word of Christ should be put before us here, even in my own house, and Christ himself should be exalted in the midst of both my life, your life, my doctrine, your doctrine, but especially of those who proclaim Christ and have true faith in him. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the following words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. He said this, I charge you, this is to Timothy again, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, ex- uh, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Friends, those are words to live by. And for those who are ministering in respective roles, those are words to die by. And please catch that. It's worth dying for. Such was the ministry of John the Baptizer. So you read later on in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other Gospels, the same testimony that John did not dare to claim any of the glory for preaching God's message. It wasn't on him. The spotlight wasn't on him. Rather, he bore witness to Christ. He kept on doing it and doing it and doing it. In Matthew 3, 11 through 12, for instance, he declared to the believing Israelites, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospels are full of references to heaven and hell alike. That's one of them right there. See, John was fully aware that his own pronouncement of the coming king of all kings was not about him. And so he dared not even try to steal a single ray of the glorious Christ. Friends, God is pleased then to use the meek, the humble, and the selfless to bear witness to Christ. People like you and me here, do you recognize then that you are made to bear witness? You're made to bear witness here on Court Street for the three or so of us who live on Court Street and more, as more of us come from Court Street right here in the same block even and beyond, we are made to bear witness to this same light. So as an application, in your working, are you quick to express gratitude to your maker for gifting you with the skills that were necessary for the very work that God gave you to do? In your speaking, are you mindful of the souls with whom you are engaging and how your words have the power to either strengthen or sabotage these precious people in God's sight? In the midst of your thinking, are you aware of your own inner dialogue going on, the ruminating thoughts that can either draw you toward or away from the things of God? Are you aware of the battle going on in your heart and mind? <clears throat> See, if we desire to be a people that bear witness to the true light here at City Light, we chose that name with a reason. <laughs> if we desire to bear true witness to the true light, which is certainly capable to give light to everyone, we must 
become those who exercise our faith by taking every single thought and word and deed captive. Why? So as to think God's thoughts after after God. See, in his providence, we are those who come after John the baptizer. On this side of the cross, we have a fuller comprehension, thankfully, of Jesus' rescue mission. John didn't even know Jesus was the Christ until Christ revealed it to him flat out in his own words. We see it more clearly than even John did. See, what John only saw through types and shadows, we now see in the light. If John, who couldn't see fully, could bear witness about this Christ, and he did, how much more so should we then bear witness, we who have tasted, we who have seen God and his goodness in Jesus Christ, and his atoning death and his resurrection specifically? After all, we are among those of whom the prophet Isaiah prophesied thousands of years in advance. You and I are those people who had once walked in darkness, but who have now seen a great light. We are that spiritual nation whom Christ has multiplied by his spirit and whose joy has been increased. We are those who rejoice before God as with joy at the harvest for the yoke of our burden, the staff for our shoulder, and the rod of our oppressor, namely sin itself, has been broken by our great God and Savior. And how did our God accomplish this salvation? Well, this is all, those of you might catch that, a reference to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 goes on to tell us this much, the gospel. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Just like Warren was praying earlier, it's unstoppable on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And guess what does this? The zeal of the Lord, the passion, the love, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's his burning desire for us as his church. That these sweet words of comfort assure us that the truth of and the goodness of God are before us in both Jesus Christ. And this leads us to our third and our final question then for this evening. Again, our first one was last week, who is Jesus? Second, why should we believe in him? Third, now, this will be a little shorter. <laughs> but how can we take comfort in Jesus? Well, John 1, 10 through 13 explains this to us so well that our comfort is in the very will and nature of God himself. It can and it should not be in any. For our God is the one who has called us to be his children, not of anything that belongs to us or is inherent to us or our personalities or our dispositions, whatever your Myers-Briggs is or your Enneagram, whatever it might be, you know, that we often define ourselves by. No, rather it is purely of and in and by his good pleasure. That's the core of our identity. We're children. We're children of God. See, John 1.10 states this, that Jesus, the true light, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him, though. These were not the children of God. He's separating the two out right here. Children, not children. My people, not my people. And so with these same words, then, John the Gospel writer, not the baptizer, but John the Gospel writer here, 
harkens back to the very first few verses of his gospel again, and even the account of the fall in Genesis 3. Remember last week we talked about the connection of John 1 and Genesis 1, how in the Greek literally mirrors word for word for word, the exact construct even of the original language. Here he's harkening back to Genesis 3. See, all things were made through the word, and eternal life is to be solely had through Christ. And yet, this is Genesis 3 here, not just Genesis 1, but Genesis 3, the spiritual darkness of sin has alienated the mind of man from understanding and from submitting all things to God. Now, in that day that our first parents ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they failed to uphold the legal declaration of life, like yesterday you and I have talked about a lot, the covenant of works. They failed to obey perfectly. And they failed to uphold that declaration of life that was promised on the basis of their obedience to God. Mm-hmm. And yet God foretold that he would, even right there in Genesis 3, from his incomprehensible heart of sheer, unbridled, matchless grace, send forth the very redeemer of his elect, who would raise up from the offspring of Eve Christ himself through them, through her rather, to defeat our ancient foe. And in bringing Christ in the fullness of time, he would put death to death by his own death upon the cross. See, God gave, it's a pun here, but God gave his literal word to us in Genesis 3. Not just a promise, but the word Christ himself. Galatians 4, 4 tells us this plainly. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Well, this too is what John describes for us in our passage. John 1, verse 11 showcases for us the most peculiar message ever given. given. It says this, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Doesn't make any sense. But it does go on to say this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, and this is the pinnacle of the entire part right here, he gave them the right, right, to become children of God. Brothers, sisters, given the knowledge of Christ that you and I hold so dearly, how could the world ever reject this, the author and giver of life? How could they ever truly, rightfully, reject Christ, their maker, the only savior for sinners? How could the world choose death? How could the world choose destruction over the light of life himself? And how could so many of the people of Israel at that time even not see Christ for who he was? Well, it's written in the nature of sin. Sin blinds us, it blinds us to the sovereign mercy of God. Sin enslaves us to our own unspeakable passions. But such also is the nature of God's divine choosing in Christ from before all time. That we who have faith in him are not those who deserved any better. We didn't deserve any better than them. But rather we are those on whom God has been pleased, happy to shine the light of Christ 
He's been pleased to melt our ice-cold hearts of stone and give us new, warm, beating hearts of flesh graced with heavenly desires. Only the gospel can do this work. And the Spirit applying the work of Christ to us. See, but for the grace of God, we too, who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, would have continued following the course of this world. We would have continued following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Praise God for his love that's been poured out over us, right? Now, this point, of course, is far more deserving, uh, more than deserving of its own sermon, really. <laughs> so, don't worry, we'll have many more sermons on grace <laughs> in the months and years to come. But for now, I do want to ask you one simple question. Do you know God's delight over you? Do you know his fatherly smile over you? See, so many of us are believers, as believers really, are driven by our own performance or pretending before others. We're driven by our own ability to achieve great things and maintain a good name before other people. But one of the core truths about Christianity is that God the Father is just and the justifier of the one who recognizes that he is not all of that. (laughs) Rather, it's the one who has faith in Christ that he is just and the justifier of. And so if you're a believer in the risen Son of God, you have every reason in the world then to believe and to know and to rest upon the fact that the Father looks upon you with the exact same affections that he has toward his one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Esther, when he sees you, he sees Jesus. Mary, when he sees you, he sees the Son. Warren, when he sees you, he sees his eternal beloved Son. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. Matt, when he sees you, he sees the Christ and all of his righteousness covering you. See, by his great love, he has given us once ruined sinners who simply believe, just believe, upon the Lord Jesus. He gives us the right, the authority, and the precious privilege to now be called sons of God, daughters of God. A lot of us here, maybe even all of us, have been born into the what they call the visible church, you know, theologians, meaning the church gathered, and we see people here worshiping together. A lot of us were raised in the church. The true believers are those who have been born of God, what theologians call the invisible church, the real people of God. So do you know yourself to be a chosen son or daughter of the living God? A son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. A son or daughter that has been born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. See, it was the will of God that set forth his good will, his pleasing will, that set forth his plan, which bought your redemption from sin upon the cross. It was the heart of God which sought you in the midst of your own waywardness. And it was the blood of his son which brought you into the everlasting kindness of God. Never be removed or destroyed or shaken. And so who is Jesus? 
Why should we believe in him? How can we take comfort in him? These things are all answered for us in the word. These things are answered for us in the word, capital word himself, Christ Jesus. He is the answer. For he is the light of life. He is the one who fought for and eternally won us, his beloved bride. He is the one in whose presence all mortal flesh must properly keep silence. As we close, I want to share um, just the words from this ancient hymn. I forget how old it is, but it's pretty old. <laughs> I think it was originally in Latin. It says this, let all mortal flesh keep silent, right? I love this verse specifically. King of kings, yet born of Mary. As of old on earth he stood, Lord of lords and human vesture in the body and the blood. And here's the gospel. He will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. Think about who this Christ is. Rank on rank, the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day. Why? That the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. He did that for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, again, we thank you for the beauty, the power of your gospel message given to us in love, forever faithful and forever true. Jesus, we do ask that you would continue to use us here at City Light to declare the mysteries of you, our God, so that Christ would receive all the honor and the glory and the praise here in downtown Lynchburg and beyond. Jesus, we desire to know you and to be known by you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would continue to lead us in the coming months and to be your will in the coming years, O oh Lord, mm-hmm. to truly affect change, not for the sake of us, but for the sake of your kingdom's expansion. We will see many sons and daughters come to saving faith in Christ and brought into your fold. So Jesus, this is our heart's prayer and our cry. And we ask that you would do this through us, O Lord, and as much as you would deem it to be pleasing to you. And so we ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. um, Before we sing one final song, we have an affirmation of faith. Um, I was going to skip this, but uh, too much in the moment. How was that? The Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed, exactly. (laughs) Speaking of uh, old, uh, you know, hymns and whatever, this one's almost 2,000 years old. (laughs) About 1,800 years old. It's about 1,800 years old or so. People believe it was written about the second century or so. earlier. Yeah. But, um, yeah, let's go ahead and read this together, though. So I'll ask the simple question, if you'll respond with the following. Uh, Christian, what is it that you believe? Together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and sing our final song this evening, another uh, Christmas hymn.
we'll, uh, we'll stick around for the uh, meal afterwards, of course. Uh, Mary has made uh, the Harvest Bowl, I think is what we're calling it now, right? Harvest Bowls. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, don't go too far as well. Uh, in 10 minutes, let's all be back in our seats. Feel free to take a break, use the restroom, whatever, get your food. But be back here in 10 minutes, right here. Uh, we're going to actually watch a video. Um, as we discuss gospel fluency for a few minutes, it's just a quick little four or five minute long video. We'll just talk about what it means to actually be um, on a mission here downtown. Um, but let me go ahead and give us the benediction for tonight. Um, this good word of God spoken over each one of us here. Um, so this is the very word of God given to us. Receive this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.